because we are all helpless and we are all fools before God. Some admit it and some do not. There was a very great learned scholar. His name was Sanatana Goswami. He was the Prime Minister of Bengal under the Nawab Hussain Shah. At this time, India was under the Mughal rule. He had all the riches of the king. He had all the power of the king. He was fluent in Sanskrit, Bengali, Hindi, Persian, Urdu, and he knew all the great classics, and he was most wise in all the scriptures. He was a very pious man. He was noble, truthful. He was good to everyone. And therefore, everyone, the honest people and the dishonest people, the rich, the poor, they all trusted him. They all respected him. They all adored him. He came before Lord Chaitanya, who is a According to the Vedas, a great incarnation of God who appeared in this world. And when he came before the Lord, he prayed, My dear Lord, I am the greatest fool. I do not know where I'm coming from, where I'm going, who I am, or who is God. God is so great. Although I know all the verses and all the great scriptures throughout the world, how great is God? I only know one little tiny speck of a drop of the ocean of the glories of the Lord. Before you, my Lord, I am fool number one. And yet the whole world praises me as being learned and saintly and great. And I am such a fool that all these years I believe them. My Lord, I am helpless before you. I am completely dependent on your mercy. Please pick me up from my fallen condition. When Sanatan Goswami admitted how tiny he was before God, it was only then that the Lord showed him his complete mercy. I will tell you another story from the Bible. <clears throat> it is the story of one very, very wealthy, pious, and religious man. His name was Job. Huh? Job was the wealthiest man in the whole land. And he was very religious. Every day he would do his worship of God. Every day he would make his offerings to God. 
He would give in charity. He would always be helping the weak and helping the poor. And because of his piety, God gave him so much. He had seven sons and three daughters, all beautiful and healthy. A chaste and beautiful wife. He had so much property. He had 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 pairs of oxen, 500 donkeys for working. And he had so much material assets that there was just never a problem in his life. In this way, he was always kind to everyone and he was the inspiration, <coughs> the giving. Everyone saw him as the emblem of giving. He was the most religious man of his time. In the Bible it describes at one time some of the Lord's messengers came to meet God. And along with them, Satan also followed. So God asked Satan, what have you been doing? He said, I've been traveling all over the lands, doing my work. And God said, oh, have you seen my devotee Job? He's the finest man there is. He's a very great devotee. Satan said, ah, anyone can be a good devotee. You pay him so much. <laughs> it doesn't take much to be a great devotee when he's getting paid so much. Look what you're giving him. Take it away. Let me just take it away from him. Then let's see. I bet that he curses your name. God said, you have my permission to take away whatever you want from him, but don't harm his body. Now notice this, that the power of evil, the power of temptation, cannot act upon the Lord's devotee without the Lord's sanction. Satan can do nothing to the Lord's devotee unless the Lord sanctions Satan to do so. In the Vedic scriptures, maya, or the illusory energy, is that force which tempts us into sinful life. Sinful life essentially means denying the glory of God, taking our life in our own hands. The power of maya, the power of Satan, can have no jurisdiction over a devotee unless the Lord gives sanction. Because the devotee who takes shelter of the Lord is under the Lord's protection. So therefore, the temptations and the trials and the tribulations, directly or indirectly, upon a religious man, are being given by God himself. So Job, somebody came with news that some thieves came and they have stolen all your sheep. They're all gone. 
And then another messenger came that all your camels have been stolen away. And then another messenger came and said, all your property has been burned by fire. And then another messenger came and said, all your ten children were in, your, were in the eldest brother's house having dinner, and the roof caved in and killed them all. Job, you have nothing. You have no family. You have no property. You have no animals. You are a beggar. And you're a devotee of God. What is God doing for you? Why don't you curse this God? Why don't you give up this God? Job looked at these men and he said, I came to this world from my mother's womb naked, without anything. Whatever I have, God has given me. It is all God's property. God has given it, and God has taken it away. It is his right. It is all his. Blessed be his holy name. So then Satan returned to God. So God said, ah, you see, Job is a very fine devotee. Satan said, huh? Everyone knows that in this world, everyone is simply concerned with his own skin. Although we've taken off everything, still, he still has a nice body. He's still healthy. He's still happy. Every selfish man could do without all these other things. Let me inflict pain and suffering upon his body, then let us see how faithful he is to you. Satan could not do anything to Job because Job was God's devotee. So God said, all right, you do, but don't kill him. You can go up to the point of his death. Don't kill him. So then Job was inflicted with horrible, painful boils from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. He was in so much pain, agony. He was just laying on the ground in a bed of ashes, screaming in pain. Nobody could even look at him. People were ridiculing him, mocking him. And then three of his friends came to try to console him. And they couldn't even recognize him. His body was completely distorted by this disease. And he was in such suffering that for seven days, they all speechlessly just sat next to him. And then Joe began to speak. Cursed is the day of my birth, he said. Why did I ever take birth in this horrible world? I am a just man. I have not sinned. I have not lied. I have not stolen. I've always been my brother's keeper. God is almighty. Why is he doing like this to me? Everyone knows how I've performed my religious functions. Everyone knows that 
I've never spoken badly or harshly to anyone in my life. Why has this come upon me? And then his three friends spoke. This is a very long narration in the Bible, very interesting and very philosophical as well. And they're all explaining that God is just Job. And we are all suffering due to our own sins. And this must have come upon you because you have sinned. You are a sinful man. Job said, I've already heard this philosophy so many times from so many people. I don't want to hear it anymore. I'm not a sinful man. And all three of them were trying to convince Job that he was sinful. They were even becoming angry with him because he would not admit he was sinful. He said, why doesn't God give me a, good, a trial and let me defend myself? And then a voice, the voice of God, came from a whirlwind in the sky. And it very severely chastised Job. You think you know everything? You think you know everything about yourself, about this world, and about me? Where were you at the time of creation? God began to challenge him. God began to tell him, about his own supreme glories. And when God challenged him and questioned him, Job understood that he was completely ignorant. That before God, he was useless. You see, although he was a very righteous man, he was proud of his righteousness. He was proud of his being religious. He did not understand that to be proud is also a sin before God. And in the face of God, when he saw the almighty glory of God in his own ignorance, in his, whole, his own the futility of his, all of his arguments and all of his pride in himself, then he admitted that, my Lord, I am nothing. And it was at that time that the Lord gave him everything he had previously, double. 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 14 sons, 6 daughters, All the wealth doubled. So what is the story to us? We should know that the ways of this world are ultimately meant to bring us to that point of knowing God and loving God. And until we completely humble ourselves, until we completely accept that we are fools, we are useless, we are weak, and we are sinful, and we are nothing. We are not fit to know God or to love God. Pride cometh before the fall. Pride is the worst enemy. 
And God works in wonderful ways to kick us, to punch us, to puncture us, to take everything away, sometimes to destroy everything around us. And if he's successful in taking away our pride and bringing us to that point of humbly approaching him, my dear Lord, I am yours. That is the perfection of our life. And that is the fulfillment of God's desire. In the Mahabharata, Maharaj Yudhisthira was in a similar position. He was the king of Indraprastha. And somehow or other, he ended up living as a mendicant in the forest. He lost his kingdom, he lost his armies, he lost his wealth, he lost everything. He had one set of clothes and he was living in the jungles. Very similar to Job in that way. Maharaj Yudhisthira, in his whole life, never even considered sin. Never even considered dishonesty. What to speak of the act? It never even entered his mind. Can you imagine the glory of such a pious person? We have to struggle and strain and just control our senses like anything from doing the grossest, most horrible things every day. Do we not? He never even thought of these things. And yet the Lord took everything away from him. So he asked Krishna, My dear Lord, what have we done to do deserve this? <coughs> And Krishna replied, Yasyaham anagrinami harisheta dhanam shanai. Which means, my supreme compassion upon my devotee is I take everything away from that person. <coughs> what Krishna said, literally, I take away his wealth, I take away his prestige. I even turn his own family members and friends and relatives against him. So that that devotee has no one else to turn to except me. And he cries out for me with helpless devotion. And when he comes to that stage, then and then only, is such a person fit for the kingdom of God? Then only is such a person fit to be called my servant. So essentially we are all servants of God. It is our eternal nature. We are all servants of God. But due to pride and due to illusion, we forget the fact. God is the supreme father of all living beings. In the Bible it is described that we are all descendants of Adam and Eve. And they were the begotten children of God. And in the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna says, Aham bija prata pita. 
which means I am the seed-giving father. God is the seed-giving father of all living beings. So we are all God's children. And then the natural quality of a child is to be devoted to the father. But somehow or other, we have forgotten. Like the prodigal son, carelessly taking for granted the gifts of his father, he wandered into the wilderness. And only when he was suffering and lost and realized what a horrible, fearful condition he was, that he ran back to his father. Please, my father, take me home. And if his father was waiting for him, running to greet him, that is our condition. This material, this world we live in is like a wilderness. And we are so foolishly thinking that we are the enjoyers. We are so foolishly proud of our own ability to manipulate our circumstances, control our environment, and seek pleasure. But by the grace of God, he puts us sometimes to bring us back to our natural condition in very, very difficult conditions of life. Sometimes the wrath of God comes upon us. But the wrath of God is his love. God is love. Whatever comes from God is love. Just like a child who misbehaves and is misdirecting his life, sometimes the father becomes very wrathful toward the child. But that wrath is an act of love to redirect the child on the right path. So the sufferings of this world are ultimately meant for that purpose. How many times do we have to be thrashed, smashed, and beaten before we accept Krishna, I'm yours. God, I'm yours. How many times? Just like a child, when he touches fire, he gets burnt. And he realizes, I should not touch fire. Because it burns. Acting independent of the will of God, acting sinfully, inevitably results in suffering reactions. As ye sow, so shall ye reap. The wages of sin are death. When we act independent of the sweet will of God, by the laws of material nature, suffering must come upon us. It's inevitable. You cannot avoid it. You cannot run from it. You cannot escape. There's no place to hide. Only the craziest, most foolish of all persons thinks he can get away with anything. In the Rig Veda, it is said, Om Tad Vishnu Paramam Padashyatapashyamti Surya. That means the eye of God, like the sun, is over everyone's head watching everything. 
It is also said, the mills of God, they grind slow but exceedingly fine. That means you can get away with your nonsense for some time. But in the due course of time, you must pay the consequence for everything you say and everything you do. And you cannot escape. No matter how wealthy you are, no matter how prestigious you are, no matter how influential you are, no matter how tricky and cunning you may be, you cannot escape even the slightest misbehavior in your life. This is our condition. And yet, we spend our whole life trying to run from the mess we've put ourselves in. And we blame others and we criticize others. But it's a natural result of what we've created ourselves. Just like you eat food. And what happens after you eat food? You digest it and then you pass stool. Huh? So the passing of stool is a result of what you've eaten. Now you may not like the stool, but you start arguing with the stool. You start blaming the stool and criticizing it. Why is it here? It's a result of what you have done. It's a natural consequence. So the environment that we are in, it is said, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. There are many things within this environment we are living that we do not have the power to change. So the natural tendency is to criticize, to find fault, to blame, blame others. Blame the circumstances, blame the environment, blame our friends, blame those people who are causing me suffering. What does it mean to accept the things I cannot change? In order to accept the things you cannot change, there is something you have to change. And that is your vision. That must be changed. We must see the hand of God everywhere. We must see how the hand of God is perfect. It is perfectly trying to bring us all closer to Him. In whatever situation we're in life, whatever we've done to create and put ourselves in that situation. In that situation, we have the perfect opportunity to turn to the Lord. When Eudistir was asking the Lord why you have taken everything away, the Lord said, because only in this condition will you turn to me. As long as you are proud of what you have, of how great you are, of how pious you are, you'll never really, really turn to me. 
the miseries of this world are the greatest blessings in disguise if we simply have the vision. We find in the great scriptures of the world, the Quran, the Bible, the Vedas, most incidents of people who rapidly attain the highest position of loving God are people who were in a sinful condition the most downtrodden. Huh? The author of the Ramayana was Valmiki Muni, who was a highway robber, a murderer, and a hunter. He was a killer. But when he came in contact with a saintly person, and he could understand the gravity of his sins, and he began to experience the suffering consequences, <coughs> only then did he cry out the name of God. So I say this many times to my dear brothers and sisters in Alcoholics Anonymous. Take your situation as a divine blessing. This material world is a transient place. In the Gospel of St. Thomas, Lord Jesus said, this world is a bridge. Cross over it, but build no house upon it. Of course, in India, many people build their houses on bridges. Uh -huh. But a bridge is not meant as a place to be comfortable and home. A bridge is to cross from one side to the other. This world is a bridge which was constructed by God as a perfect opportunity to cross from material consciousness of envy, rebellion, and pride across the ocean of birth and death to that platform of humility, serenity, courage, and surrender wisdom. But this whole world is very anxious, not only to be able to build a home, but a whole empire on this bridge. God has created this world as a place of suffering. Essentially, it is a place of suffering. It is a place where you are destined to grow old, get diseased, and die, even if everything else goes just the way you want it. It is a place where even if you can maintain the best health, the best prestigious position in society, you are forced to see your own loved ones die right before your eyes. 
and then you are forced to meet that same fate yourself. That is the nature of this world. This world, why did God create it? If God is all good, he's created it as a bridge. Cross over it, but build no house upon it. <coughs> this world, the real fulfillment of everything here is when it brings a soul back to his realization that, my dear Lord, I am yours. I surrender to you. I am depending on your mercy and your mercy alone. Without you, I have no means to survive. That is a fact. Without the air, without the sun, without the rain, without the earth, without the natural gifts of God, nobody could survive for a second. It is the most obvious fact that we are all completely at the mercy of God, totally dependent on God. And yet everyone in this world has completely forgotten it. Even in the name of religion, practically all religious people, they're fighting wars over whose property does this belong to? It belongs to the Muslims, it belongs to the Jews, it belongs to the Christians, it belongs to the Hindus, it belongs to the Sikhs, it belongs to the Buddhists. It doesn't belong to any of them. It belongs to God. Huh? Even in the name of religion, we are simply claiming proprietorship and fighting over stolen property. But when we have a humble heart, then we admit, we confess within our own heart, before our friends, and before God, we confess that, my Lord, I am nothing. I am completely dependent on your mercy alone. I am in ignorance. I am a fool. Whatever righteousness and piety I may have is only by your mercy. Until we come to this point, we cannot fulfill the aim of human life. So this is why, if we simply have the proper vision, we will see that our suffering conditions, those conditions where we are in the most desperate circumstances, is the best position to change our hearts and to turn to God. And one who takes the opportunity, that person becomes glorious. And one who does not take that opportunity, will simply suffer. Huh? Being an alcoholic, such suffering. Being from America, I have seen, lived with alcoholics my whole life. 
horrible suffering condition. I have seen homes completely broken. I have seen husbands murdering their wives due to the influence of alcohol. I have seen wives murder their husbands under the influence of alcohol. I have seen entire families completely mutilated in automobile accidents due to the influence of alcohol. I have seen organized crime all due to the greed of propagating alcohol. I've seen people suffer horrible, horrible diseases due to the influence of alcohol. I've seen people whose lives were in utter shambles. And I'll tell you something. By the auspicious blessings of the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous, I've seen these very people who've seen, witnessed, and undergone these tragedies and lives become some of the soberest, most serious, most God-conscious people on earth. Because this fellowship is teaching men and women that the darkest moment is before the dawn. Your life is in shambles. Utter hopelessness brings birth to the supreme hope. until we empty ourselves of all ego, until we empty our hearts and our minds of all sense of false prestige, we cannot taste the sweetness of devotion to God. So try to understand that the sober people in this world are totally intoxicated by false prestige and ignorance. Totally intoxicated. A person who becomes so horribly and tragically intoxicated finally admits that I'm intoxicated and makes some attempt to sober up. Huh? So my friends, many of you are many stages above the rest of the people in this world. <laughs> in your intoxications, you've come to that point of admitting you're intoxicated. But the rest of the people in this world, believe me, they're intoxicated whether it's alcohol or power or fame or just even the pauper is proud of his penny. Huh? Just like these people living on the streets, whatever little they have, they're proud of it. They're still trying to enjoy. Sometimes as a religious preacher, 
why don't you turn to God? We'll even give you a place in our temple. Come, live, be happy. No, no. They're just so attached to whatever little sense of proprietorship and whatever little sinful sense gratification they have. They can't give it up. They're intoxicated. What to speak of the big, big multimillionaires? How furious is their intoxication? And generally, the more successful we are in this material world, the more we become intoxicated by that. The more we think, I'm the controller, I'm the doer, and I'm very good. And anyway, everyone, <coughs> just see what I have done, and watch what I can do, and try <coughs> to understand who I am. From the most insignificant child in school, to the great leaders of nations, Everyone is intoxicated by this sense of false prestige. Everyone is intoxicated by thinking, I am the enjoyer. I am independent. Now, many of you in this room, the reason why you're sitting here today is because you have come to admit that I am intoxicated and it's too much. I'm suffering. I'm hopeless. I'm desperate. I have no control over myself. I have no control over my mind. I have no control over my senses. I have no control over my destiny. I'm simply a victim of this intoxication. I'm simply a slave. Actually, what happened is when you come to this conclusion, it's because God's slapping you in the face, trying to sober you up from this whole intoxicated existence. My younger brother, my younger brother, such a nice, gentle boy, very sweet, always very polite, very respectful. Throughout his whole life, he was always very much a gentleman. When he became a young man, due to bad association, he became addicted to cocaine. <clears throat> now, this demoniac energy in the form of this drug just made him into a completely different person. Because cocaine is very costly. And he had to have it every single day. He was stealing his own mother's jewelry, her wedding jewelry, and selling it to buy cocaine. Huh? He was stealing my father and mother's money. He was going into my other brother's house and stealing his things and his money and his possessions and selling it for cocaine. As a matter of fact, he was at the point where if it had to be, he would kill somebody. 